Amen. Thank you, Connie, for that. Does anybody remember the first three judges? Name of the first judge. Anybody remember? Get you thinking about this again. You got it? Othniel. Okay. Othniel was the first one. Anybody remember the second one? Second one? Ehud. Yes. Ehud was the second one. And the third one? Shamgar. And remember the weird name Shamgar. Now tonight... We're going to go further into Judges, and Lord willing, we'll cover the 4th, 5th, and 6th Judges, and the first two are kind of a team, kind of go together, so we'll start in Judges chapter 4, and we want to see some important things about each of these personalities and how God used them for His glory. I believe that God can still use uh, people for His glory today who have no idea they're about to be used. God still uses people today who seemingly would be insignificant, who see themselves as having no strength, no ability. That's what the God of the Bible has always done. And so Judges chapter 4, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So once again, the pattern continues. As soon as the judge died, they began to do evil again. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron. And twenty years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So the first time that the children of Israel were, were gone astray from God and Judges, Um, They were in bondage for eight years. The next time they were in bondage for 18 years. Now, this time, they're in bondage for 20 years, but they're under heavy bondage. They're being mightily oppressed by Jabin, king of Canaan. And we see in verse number four, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah. How convenient. Um, Between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Bible. If you read in the New Testament, um, God's very plain that that a pastor is to be the husband of one wife, which normally would indicate that a pastor is supposed to be a man. Um, God also tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, specifically what women's role is should be in the church, and women have a a huge role in the church. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when God's original plan of having men be men, um, if there's no men who are standing in the gap, God is just more than happy to use ladies to do a man's job. And there are a lot of ladies in the United States today who are being the mother and the father for their kids because the man won't do it. There are a lot of ladies who are stuck leading the home spiritually because the man won't do it. And because there were no men who would stand up to the plate and do what they were supposed to do, Deborah became the judge of Israel. She's called the prophetess. Now, this does not mean that she had the, the biblical gift of prophecy. It just means, as we indicate in the first one, Deborah, we'll say, go ahead and give it to you in your notes, by the way, did anybody need notes? Anybody got notes? We had a couple that still needed them. 
Did we run out of bulletins? Is that what happened? Oh, we're making some. Okay. All right. Boy, we've got all kinds of people involved in this. It's a team. It's a team effort. Should have asked earlier. Who else needs notes? Have a couple people? All right. Back here. Over here. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. It's great. Get everybody some notes. All right. Good work. We're missing one still right over here. All right, everybody sat. Oh, we still got a couple more. They're just going up like popcorn. It's like after you turn the microwave off and they still do the last pops, that's what's happening. People are, oh, I'm at church. Oh, I don't have notes. Pop. All right, so let's start in your notes. Deborah, living as an example to the women of Israel, was a wife. Now, that's noted. She was the wife of Lapidoth. But she was also a voice of God to the people. She was a voice of God to the people. And God um, allowed her to do this. And he, in fact, wanted her to do this at this time in Israel's history. Now, we're going to find some other uh, significant uh, females who have done leadership roles in the Bible from time to time. But Deborah is certainly one of those and one that we should highlight. And so let's read more about her. Verse number six. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh, Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee, I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And so Deborah has a significant role now in being the mouthpiece of God. And, you know, God can use anybody as his mouthpiece. He can. God can use a man or a woman. He can use a tree. With Balaam, he used a donkey. He can use anybody to be his mouthpiece. And sometimes we get a little bit too hung up on who God can and can't use as a mouthpiece. And so he used Deborah as his voice here to these people. We say this next in your notes, and then we'll read a little bit further. Deborah, who would call others to duty in God's name, was willing to support them in doing it. Let's look what happens next. Verse number 8. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Right? So here he is. This guy's going to be the great warrior. He shows up to meet with Deborah, who's judging Israel at the time. And he says to her in his bravest voice, If you go with me, I'll go. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. All right? So you can kind of picture how this is taking place. This mighty warrior, Barak, is on the scene. And, you know, there, there are always times in our life where we need support from other people. We need help from other people. And uh, 
there are times where we can't go at it alone. God made us to need other people. God made us to be in human relationships. And certainly our relationship with God is the most important, but God placed within us a need for a support system here on the earth for those who would lift us up and help us. And so he said, if, you, if you're with me, I'm going. If you're not, I'm not going. And look what she said, verse 9. I will surely go with thee. Isn't that neat? I will surely go with thee. So here Deborah, the voice, the mouthpiece of God, says to him, hey, I'm telling you, God's called you to go get an army of Naphtali and Zebulun and go and fight. He's going to deliver you, and things are going to be great. And he said, I don't really want to go by myself. But if you go, I'll go. And so she went with him. And a lot of times when we lead others, it's just what we said in your notes, we have to be willing to support them. There are people that you've prayed with before, or maybe you've discipled, or maybe you've led them in a Bible study or life group, or you've been a friend to them. And there are going to be times when you're going to have this thought, can't they go and do what they're supposed to do on their own? Right? I remember when I, was a, when I first became a, a, a pastor, you could call it a senior pastor, it was like 30 people. Um, actually, the, the night I got voted in, there were six members of a non-church at the meeting. It wasn't even a church yet. It was a group of people meeting, and there were six of them, and my wife, and our dog Lucy out in the car. And, um, and they voted us in and said, we want you to come. And so we went all the way back to Arkansas and got our stuff, and we came to Boise, Idaho, to help formally start this church. Um, not this church, church in Boise. And we, we were there, and man, we were going at it. And um, from the people who had worked with the church a little bit before, there was this, this card index. And I remember what the guy told me, and I knew this because I'd been in ministry for several years already. If you go and visit these people... Every Saturday, they'll come to church on Sunday. And if you don't go, they won't come to church on Sunday. And so I wanted people to come to church on Sunday, so we went and visited them. And we went and saw them, and he was right. When you visited them on Saturday, they'd come on Sunday. And finally, there came a point after I'd been there for six months where I said, you know, these people ought to just come to church on Sunday. I shouldn't have to go see them every Saturday for them to come to church on Sunday. And uh, so, you know, that's, it's tough to find that balance in how you're going to love them. Um, some people, they, they need a visit or they need a card or they need a letter. And if you don't do that from time to time, in, even in our church, and we have a loving church family, but if we don't take uh, tabs and support each other and care for each other like we should... People start saying, boy, I just don't know if I fit in. I don't know if, if people still love me. And I find this to, to be the case when people miss a few weeks of church. They come back and they've been gone for a few weeks or maybe for a few months even. And they come back and there's new people here. And there's different things that are taking place. And their thought process is, this isn't my church anymore. I don't fit in here. And you know what they need? They need support. And so, Deborah was willing to support Barak. She didn't just tell him, God called you. She was actually going to go with him to the battlefield. 
Now, look, look at the interesting thing she tells him, though. She says, uh, in verse 9, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Can you imagine a warrior hearing this? God is going to deliver us by the hand of a woman. And Barak probably didn't know what to think. He just was blown away by this. Can you imagine this? It's like a woman running for vice president or something. It just doesn't make any sense. How could it happen, right? Actually, Geraldine Ferraro did a long time ago. Um, You guys know who that is, right? Teenagers? Yes, okay. You do? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just checking. Did, who was she? She was who's running May? Ferraro? Anybody? Mondale, yeah. Very good. He's keeping tabs right there. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we got off on it out. Let's look at this next one in your notes because it has to do with Barak. Like many of us, Barak showed weak faith in the beginning of his journey. Now, we already read the verse where Barak said, okay. I'm willing to do it. But if I go, you're going with me. Right? And it's kind of like the first time that you go out with somebody to pass out flyers to invite people to church. Or you go out with somebody on our bus or van route to invite kids to come to church. And you know what they're thinking? I'll go and do this if you go with me. I'm not going alone. Right? Um, We passed out. We've still got about 3,000 left. Um, of our Bibles, but we passed out about 22,000 Bibles in this county um, as a church over these last few years. And uh, I I remember talking to several of you who would come and say, Pastor, I've never done this before. And I'd say, okay, well, here's what you do. You go up and you ring the doorbell or knock on the door and you say, hi, I have a gift for you. And you put your arm out. They're like, I don't know if I can do that. Let's go through it again. You take the Bible and you walk up to the door and you either knock or you ring the doorbell. And the first time that somebody comes to the door, you don't have to know your name because you'll probably forget it. You'll be shaking so badly. Um, You don't have to know their name. You don't have to know anything except you have a gift for them. Uh, Pastor, I just don't know if I can do it. And so sometimes what we'd have to do is send them out the first time with somebody who'd be willing to do that with them. And you know, If we're willing to do something with somebody else as a discipler or a mentor, they're going to grow in faith much faster. But a lot of times we get that mentality like I had when I was 25 years old. If you can't do it on your own, then just get out. You're not worth it. Right? If I have to visit you every Saturday, you don't need to be in church. Right? Kind of that philosophy. That was totally wrong. Um, my job was to shepherd them and love them. Now, in different sized churches, we have different roles of how that plays. I can't go and visit every person at Centennial Baptist Church every week. It just won't work. It's the only thing I would do. And, and so we have to learn how to love each other as a body. That's what God wants us to do. And, and when we support each other the way that we should, those who have weak faith can be strengthened. But if we leave the people with weak faith out, you know what God could have said to Barak or what Deborah said? If you need me to hold your hand, mighty warrior, 
then you're probably not the right guy. Right? If you need me, Deborah, a woman, to come to battle with you, you're probably not the guy we're looking for. But instead, she said, okay, I'll go. Let's go. Let's go do battle. So Barak would, next one, Barak would receive little recognition as a warrior. Just read that verse. He would receive little recognition as a warrior. God would use an unthinkable method to win the war. And I'm sure you've read ahead or you know the story. Let's go on down and read what happened next. Um, The battle had begun. Sisera was on the run, the general. And uh, look, verse number 17. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her in the tent, she covered him with the mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. She knew what would make him go to sleep. A bottle of milk covered by a mantle, watching Sports Center. And I said, Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent. And it shall be, when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here that thou shalt say no? Then Jael, meek little Jael, tiny little Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, took a hammer in her hand, and I like this part, and went softly unto him. She's a tiny little meek little lady. She went softly unto him. And smote the nail into his temples and fastened into the ground. For he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. (laughs) Now, God uses unthinkable methods, doesn't he? And here's this housewife in a tent. And here comes the general to her tent. And lays down on the ground and gets covered up with the blanket and drinks a bottle of warm milk. I mean, you can't write this stuff. But God did. God knew exactly what was going on. And he used this unthinkable method. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan. And God delivered them in the hand of a woman. Now, chapter 5, if you ever read it, is a song that was written um, by Deborah and Barak. And they sang a song together, and it's about 31 verses long. And you can read that on your own sometime. It's a great song. Now, once they were off the scene, we get to chapter 6 now. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian seven years. All right, so, so this time they didn't go as far from God, and yet they were far from God, and so God had delivered them to the head of the Midianites. And here, the Midianites um, were really uh, taking all of their crops and impoverishing them, it says in verse number 6. And so they cried to the Lord. And the Lord um, sent a prophet even this time to speak to them and say, Hey, you better straighten up. I'm the Lord your God. You're supposed to do right. 
Quit crying out to me if you're not willing to do right. And I'm paraphrasing. But let's get to verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah. That pertained unto Joash the Abbi Israelite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So he was even hiding the fact that he was threshing wheat because the Midianites would come and take the wheat. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. I love this opening. The angel of the Lord comes to a dude who's hiding in a wine press to thresh his wheat and says, Hey, you are a mighty man. You mighty man of valor. The angel says to him, And Gideon said unto him, Thinking that this is just a guy who showed up on the scene. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And so they're getting into this philosophical discussion. What's causing all the problems in our world? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And so as we're reading this, we're thinking, Yeah, this is a real mighty man of valor. I mean, God got this one right. And this guy, he thinks God's against him. How could he possibly fit, be fit for battle? He doesn't even believe in God. And the Lord looked upon him. Now, when it says this in verse 14, the word Lord there is all caps, and it means Jehovah. And I believe, and some theologians, I guess, would probably say that this is a theophany. A theophany is when God himself showed up in human form as an angel. Um, it happened to Abraham. It happened in the Old Testament to several other people, to Joshua. It happened, um, what was Abraham's maid's name? Hagar. It happened with Hagar. And I think this is another case. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So you, you really have to appreciate the irony here. Here is God himself talking to Gideon, and Gideon saying, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. This is supposed to be the God of miracles. And yet we're sold to the Midianites. We can't get a miracle to save our lives. And God himself looked at Gideon and said, Hey, I want you to go in your might and save Israel from the Midianites. you got to appreciate God's humor sometimes. And look what Gideon says. Oh, my Lord, verse 15. Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And you can just hear the woe is me mentality. Poor Gideon. I mean, I'm from... Manasseh's not even one of the popular tribes. And my family's in the poorest part of that family, of that tribe. And me, I'm just a wee little fellow at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, I'm not even popular in my own family. I'm the guy at the family picnic that has to clean the table after everybody else is done. And he's in bad shape here. And the Lord said unto him, Surely... I will be with thee. 
Now I want you to notice now. Surely I will be with thee. If this were an angel, couldn't, wouldn't say this, right? This had to be God himself who was meeting with Gideon and said, Surely I will be with thee. And it just goes back to the thought process. If God is with you, you can do anything God wants you to do. Right? Um, there's an old saying, you and God make a majority. Remember that old saying? Actually, the truth is God makes a majority all by himself. And if you get on the God's team and do what God wants you to do with your life, you're going to be victorious. And so he tells Gideon, he says, listen, surely I'll be with thee. And uh, I like verse 17 because it's the first time where Gideon, we're going to see this in your notes in a minute, where Gideon asked for a special request. And look at this, isn't this strange? And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Right? Do you get what it's saying? He's saying, Lord, now wait just a second. If you're really who you say you are, if you're really an angel or if you're God, could you please show me a sign that you're really here? That this just isn't a dream that I'm having? That I'm not talking to myself in fear of the Midianites? Show me a sign. And so this is the first time we see this in Gideon's life. And we say to your notes, Gideon had a unique relationship with God. He desired confirmation before he moved ahead. What if before every decision in your life that you believed was the right decision, what if you could go to God and say, God, I just need you to come right now and shake my hand and assure me it's the right thing. Right? Or God, if you could put three red M&Ms on my table to, to assure me it's the right thing. You say, that don't get off in space, Pastor. Oh, we're going to see some space here in a minute. Um, Gideon goes far off on some of this stuff. Far out. And, and what if we have that confirmation? The truth is, we do. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will guide us when we're submitted unto all truth. That doesn't mean that you're going to know every fact of truth in your head. What it means is the Spirit's going to guide you to the right path for your life if you're submitted to Him. But Gideon needed confirmation. And so look what he says in verse 18. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, set it before thee. (laughs) So Gideon said, wait right here. Okay, I know you're God, or maybe you're an angel, and I'm not sure who you are, and I need confirmation for who you even are, but could you wait here? I'm going to go run and grab something. I'll be back. And God, being patient, says to him, I will tarry until thou come again. All right, have you ever seen where God says to people, you know what, I'll wait on you for a while. I'll wait on you for a while. This... This is just unbelievable. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid. So he took the time to kill a goat. Right? He went in. He took the time to kill a small goat, to get it all ready and prepare it, to make cake. Right? Unleavened cakes. Not the good tasting ones. Of an ephah of flour. Now, I'm talking about, this is a big cake. Right? An ephah is a bushel and three pints. So he made a big honking cake, right? And he took the time 
to get the goat ready to make the cake. And he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. So how long would it take to dress a kid, make a huge cake, and make a pot of broth? I mean, even on the cooking channel, it would take an hour, right? It's going to take a while. So, so here they come back now. And uh, the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. So, so here he puts the goat and the cake on the rock, and then he poured the broth on top of it. And Gideon's thinking, ah, what, what are we doing here? That was to eat. And so the pot is all poured out now. The broth is all over the rock. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Right this knee. Now I want you to notice the next verse. Because Gideon's pretty thick-headed or he's extremely blonde. So look what it says. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And Gideon is just now getting it. He had to wait for confirmation of the fire to eat the entire meal off the rock. And then he said, you know what? This may be an angel. This could possibly be an angel. And then he thought he's going to die. I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Now God's always so, you know, compassionate during these times. Um, you're not going to die. Get over it, Gideon. You, you can't even figure out when you see an angel. So Gideon built an altar. Now, we're going to see later, you guys know when Gideon has his fleece, and he puts the fleece out, and he says, God, if you're really God, you really want me to go, I want you to make all the ground wet and the fleece dry. And it still wasn't good enough. So the next night he said, God, if you really want me to go and you're God, I want you to make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God continued to give him confirmation. Now, here's what I know about God that's so interesting. If you really are in tune with God and you really do want to follow his path, he will continue to lead you with confirmation. He will continue to bless you toward his path. Because God wants you to know what your purpose is. God wants you to know what you're supposed to do with your life. He's not trying to keep it a secret. Right? God's not hiding it and making you go find it with a GPS thing. God wants you to know what you're supposed to do with your life. And that's what happened with Gideon. But this takes a strange turn. Because before Gideon could go to battle, in the famous battle that we know all about, we say this in the notes, before Gideon went into a battle with the Midianites, God proved him with a task much closer to home. Here's the deal. God will normally not have you do things outside of your house until you live for him in your house. Until you're doing right at home, God's not going to have you do right abroad. And here's what happened. Came to pass. He, he, so he made this altar. Verse 25. Came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock, 
of seven years old. And that was a significant bullock because it was the one that was given to idol sacrifice. And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Now this is unbelievable, really. You think about this. Here's God coming to Gideon and saying, hey, you're the mighty man. You're going to deliver us. And Gideon said, "You, you have no idea who I am. I'm the least of the least. And now God's confirmed and God says, okay, now that you've decided you're going to follow me, you've built me an altar, here I've got a task for you. Go to your father's house, tear down his false altar, tear down his idol-worshiping grove, take his second bullock that they're going to sacrifice for this altar of idols, and take that bullock and come and offer it here. Now, Gideon was so inspired by this. Verse 27, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Right? So Gideon, he wasn't quite on board, but he did it. He didn't, God didn't say you have to do it during the day. So he did it at night. And they came out the next morning. You have to read through this. When they came out the next morning and Baal was torn down, these people had a fit. Who did this? How dare you hurt our false God? Do you know the world's still like that today? Attack humanism. Attack progressivism. Attack atheism and agnosticism. Every false religion on planet earth. And they will get irate. They will be out for blood. And that's what they said. Who did this? Bring them out. We're stringing them up. We're going to kill them. And the men of the city said to Joash, Gideon's dad, Bring out thy son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And look at verse 31. If you underline in your Bible, there's a phrase in here you ought to underline and study later. Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself because one hath cast down his altar. You know what just happened? His father, who was a Baal worshiper, became a god worshiper again. Just in that, and this is his own dad who was an idol worshiper. And he just got him back. His own dad now has the recognition, hey, we have a true God. Will you plead for a false God? You know, we live in a nation today that pleads for their false gods. I mean, people get more upset at the dancing with the stars results than they do about elections in their city and state. People get more upset about what happens on American Idol than they do that abortions are happening in their city. And we live in a nation that is pleading for Baal. Pleading for Baal. And as Christians, we stand aside, oh, don't want to get hurt, don't want to get in that. But Gideon had to. And it started at home. 
Now, we re- talked about the fleece thing. We get into chapter 7. And Gideon, <laughs> he, he really is encouraged by God about the battle. And you probably have read this before. Verse number 2, chapter 7. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. So Gideon goes out, and he says, Okay, here's the deal. Anybody who's afraid, raise your hand. Okay, you people who raised your hand, you go on home. You don't have to stay if you're afraid. 22,000 people went home. That was 70% of his army gone. And then God comes and says, you know, you still have way too many. We're going to do a little test. Go down to the water and drink. And everybody that drinks watchfully, you make a note of them. Everybody that just drinks because they're thirsty, they're gone. They're not going to be in this battle. 9,700 more went home. Gideon, you know this already, he ended up with 300 men, less than 1% of his original army. Now, can you imagine this? Less than 1% of his original army. And God said, okay, it's about right, let's do it. God doesn't need anybody to win the war in your life. He just needs himself. Verse 7, Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And so now they're ready to go fight. And I want you to notice what happens. Verse number 9. And it came to pass the same night, night before the battle, The Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Now verse 10 has always struck me as one of the most odd verses in the Bible. Look what it says. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with fury of thy servant down to the host. Now look in the middle of verse 11. Then went he down with fury his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. Gideon was scared to death. This is what we say next in your notes. In spite of the great courage it took to follow God's diminishing of his army, Gideon was still afraid. Do you know, that's what real courage is. Real courage is following God even when you still have the emotion of fear. Real courage is following God even though you are scared out of your mind about what's about to happen. And I love how God said to him, Hey, Gideon, listen. If you're afraid to go down, take Fura with you. And the next verse, Fura went down with him. This is the only time Fura is ever mentioned in the Bible. But Fura, because he was willing to be a companion and support Gideon, helped win this war. You know, you can win a lot of battles for people in your life and help them by being anonymous and supportive to them like Fura was. That's, that's a good study to do sometime on his life. But you know what happens next. They were supposed to get their supplies. And uh, you remember what the supplies are going to be. Verse 16, he divided 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. So here we say, you know, it's trumpets, pitchers, and lamps. 
Once again, God used the weak and foolish things to show his strength. And as those men stood out there that night and blew the trumpets and lit the lamps in the pitchers and break the pitchers, the Midianites thought that there was a great army around them. They began to fight among themselves, and God wiped out their entire army with 300 men. And the Midianites was not a small army. That's over 100,000 men. And, and so now Gideon is the judge. And when you follow his life along, I want to go toward the end of his life to show you one more significant thing. Chapter 8. All the people came to Gideon. Here's what they said. Verse 22, chapter 8. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And look what Gideon said. I love this. He said, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. It's supposed to be a theocracy. God will rule over you. I'm not going to be your king. And Gideon said unto them, now this, is, this is where he got into trouble. He said the right thing in verse 23, but in verse 24 he said, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold. Besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about the camel's necks. And Gideon made an ephod. They used an ephod as a tool to communicate with God in many of these false religions. And even later, we see the priests in David's day using an ephod. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So in saying, listen, God's going to rule over you, that was the right thing. But when he made an ephod, and all the people began to worship the ephod instead of the God who delivered them, they were going to go right back into the same bondage they'd been in. Here's the last thing in your notes. By God's might in Gideon, the nation was delivered. By Gideon's fleshly wisdom, the nation was snared. You know, that's the way it is with our lives. Sometimes God works through us and we're on the mountaintop. Can I tell you, if you're ever on a spiritual mountaintop, to please beware because you're about to go into a valley. You're going to go from a spiritual mountaintop many times into a deep spiritual valley. And Gideon went through this, and his life is just so fascinating. Um, I debated about whether we should even spend maybe just a whole session on Gideon. But as you study and read about his life, he was an incredible man of God, and yet he was such a flawed person. He, he struggled so much in his faith. He needed confirmation, and he needed support, and he needed people to go with him. And you know, it's the same things we need. We need other people to pray for us, support us, love us, go into battle with us. And uh, we need, have the same needs that Gideon did, the same needs Barak had. We have 
some Debras in this room who are ready to be the mouthpieces of God in, in their families and their lives. There are many things that we can learn from these judges from tonight. And I hope that's a blessing to you. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed. In a closing word of prayer, sure do love all of you. Let's go home and eat some uh, ham and cheese sandwiches. All right? How's that sound? <laughs>